Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Last year, we launched our course, The Data-Driven Classroom, and had hundreds of educators and clinicians take this course with consistently amazing feedback. I heard from so many teachers how this course really changed the way they approach data, how they were able to set up simple data systems, train their paras, and be collecting data to make data-based decisions within days of finishing the course. That feedback made me so happy. Now that course has been closed and unavailable since last year, but guess what? We are reopening the course, the data-based classroom, and I want you to be one of the first ones in. If data is something you have been struggling with for years, let's work on this together. Let me give you all of the tools to make this something that can consistently happen in your classroom. And guess what? Since you are a podcast listener, and I absolutely love my podcast listeners, I have an awesome code for you. When you use the code DATA100, you're going to get $100 off of the course bundle. Now, this code is only going to be usable until March 20th. So you only have one week to use this code, but Data 100 will get you $100 off of that course bundle. So that means for less than $200, you are getting the amazing data toolkit with literally hundreds of data sheets, all editable. And don't worry, I teach you how to edit it. And that entire data-driven course that touches on academic data, behavior data, staff training, and so much more. There's a link in the show notes with all of the information. Let's make this year the year that data really works. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. Welcome back to the Autism Helper Podcast. Today, I am really looking forward to sharing my interview with Kelly Mahler. Kelly is an occupational therapist with almost 20 years experience and is known for being an expert in interoception. I was really looking forward to this interview because I knew a little bit what interoception is, but not a lot. And I knew that it played a big role in why we do what we do. And I started learning a little bit about it. So I kind of wanted to go to the expert here. And Kelly shares so much great information about what interoception is, how we can identify when there is maybe a need in this area, and how really this impacts so many areas of our life. I, I'm excited for you guys to listen to this because I think you're going to learn a lot and I think you're going to be inspired to think about things a little bit differently. I know it it really 
had me really my wheels turning the whole time that she was talking because I kept thinking about different students and clients that I knew and and how interoception impacts me and my kids. Um, I'm going to link Kelly's website in the show notes. She has an amazing website with tons of resources, tons of blog posts. So if this has really piqued your interest, I want you to keep that going and continue to learn more. So let's go ahead and jump right into the interview. Hi, Kelly. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me, Sasha. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here. I was I was just telling Kelly that I'm really looking forward to this episode because this is a topic that I know very little about, so I'm excited to learn more along with all of the listeners. Yeah, I know you were talking about um, I take any chance I can get to talk about the topic of interoception um, because it is very new to most people. So to kind of start off at the most basic thing, what is interoception? Um, so interoception is a sense or a sensory system within all of our bodies, and it's the newest sense on the block. Like it's, it's actually been defined a hundred years ago, um, but it, it takes obviously us it takes us a long time to like catch on to things, I guess. Um, but interoception is an incredibly important sense, and it it part of its job is to allow us to have that conscious experience of our internal body sensations or body signals. So um, if you think about maybe you might notice like the feeling of a growling empty stomach or a racing heart or tense muscles, and uh, many of us are, are, are able to notice and understand those sensations because of interoception. Um, so you, you have like a lot of receptors for interoception located throughout your body in charge of pulling in information about what is the condition of all of your different body parts. And, um, so those receptors are gathering that information and noticing the condition of your body, how your body is feeling and your brain uses that as information or clues to your emotional experience. So for example, like the receptors in your stomach, if it's pulling in that your stomach has that growly, empty feeling, your brain can use that as a clue that you're feeling hungry. Or the receptors in your bladder, if it's pulling in information that your bladder feels full, your brain can use that as a clue that you need to go to the bathroom, you need to urinate. Or um, if the receptors in your heart are picking up that your heart is racing, your brain could possibly use that as a clue that you are feeling anxious. So interoception um, is important for many reasons, but the biggest task is really helping us to consciously feel our body sensations. And those are clues to our emotions. I mean, this sounds so hugely important because as you're going through those examples, I keep thinking all of those examples will then result in some, you know, outward behavior that we're all going to observe and see. So it's, you know, thinking kind of even from like the behavior analytic perspective, this is something we we really need to be thinking about because there could be this reason behind why our students or our clients are doing something that is much more complicated than we think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. What we know um, for autistic people is that many of them struggle to either notice their body sensations or they notice a sensation, but they're not exactly sure what it means for them. Um, and so 
the way our body feels like, so if you think about, especially discomfort, like if we notice discomfort in our body, it provides us with motivation, that internal motivation to like kick us into action and to do something to take care of our bodies, to help restore that comfort. So if you're missing that important information, you're not noticing or understanding it, you're missing that, that internal drive, that internal motivation to like help you to seek out like that self-regulation strategy. Um, So you're right. It does present as um, sometimes what people call like, you know, certain challenging behaviors. Um, And many autistic people are very misunderstood because we're not taking into account their inner experience. Yeah. So you just mentioned self-regulation and I was kind of, kind of thinking on that as you were saying that too. So obviously, you know, you know, I'm thinking about even how myself, like right now I am hungry. Like I will solve that problem when I get off this call. Right. So mm-hmm. that, you know, self-regulating that, but can you talk a little bit about how interoception can influence self-regulation with, you know, people on the spectrum and just, you know, all of us? Yeah. Yeah. I think I love that you said all of us because interoception isn't everyone thing. It's definitely important for us to be aware of if we're supporting and loving autistic learners too. Um, but interoceptive awareness or our awareness, our our ability to notice and understand our internal body signals is the foundation of self-regulation. You need to clearly be able to understand how you feel in order to know what to do about it, to know what to do to regulate. So like you just said, you're hungry. So based on years of experience and opportunities, you have learned over time that whatever you're feeling in your body right now means hunger for you. And you probably have learned over um, more time and opportunities that eating will help you to regulate that feeling in your body. Um, or if you think about it, maybe from an anxiety perspective, um, like what your body feels like when you're anxious is different than what my body feels like. But I know there's a, like, I notice a feeling in my body, like I get this like tight feeling in my chest. And I know that that for me means I'm beginning to get anxious. And that's what like motivates me, kicks me into gear and say like, I need to do something right now to help, um, regulate my body before my anxiety gets too big and out of control. Um, So if you're missing those internal clues, it becomes almost impossible to regulate or self-regulate. Many of my clients um, are relying on their caregivers to help them co-regulate if they're missing that interceptive awareness piece. What are some signs of missing some of those, you know, those kind of triggers that, Hey, I, I need to chill out or I need to eat. Like what's, what, what are some signs that we can see of those extremes? Um, so like if, uh, the child or the adult needs reminded to eat by other people on a daily basis, they might just go for long periods of time and just completely like forget to eat. Or sometimes overeating can be a sign um, that that person's not noticing that feeling of fullness. Like many of us have an off switch in our body that's like, okay, like I've had enough to eat. Mm-hmm. It's time to stop eating. Um, toileting, um, bladder and bowel leakage. Um, oh, I'm always curious about interceptive awareness if my client is experiencing a toileting issue. Um, and um, body temperature difficulties, like if getting overheated um, and not noticing it or going outside in freezing cold weather in just a pair of shorts and a t-shirt and not noticing that your body is getting cold. Um, 
And if you talk about like more affective emotions, um, for some of my clients, like they can memorize every single coping strategy known to man, but the amount of coping strategies they can put into place in the, in, in the moment, so to speak, like Mm -hmm. when during an an intense emotion is like 0%. Um, it's because they're not, they're missing that, that clue in their body saying like, this is the moment where I need to use that coping strategy that I learned. Um, and anytime someone is chronically dysregulated from like an emotional affective place, uh, I'm always curious about their, their interoceptive experience. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. As you were listing those examples, I think I could think of like a former client or a former student for each one of those. Like this is obviously something that I think – is really, is it really, is it common? Like I just, I kept thinking of like, even my own daughter, I think has trouble with some of these things. Yeah. It's extremely common. And I think just like, even um, if we zoom out and talk about just like society in general, like we don't put a lot of emphasis on the importance of listening to our body. Like Mm -hmm. we live in a very busy society. We tend to push through and like, I mean, even just think about adults and how many times we live in a chronic state of like stress and busyness and we're just ignoring everything our body is telling us. And then sometimes it can end up in like serious health issues. Um, We're just like pushing our bodies and not listening to them. Uh, So I think we live in a society that does not put a lot of um, emphasis on the importance of really listening to our bodies and doing proper self-care and whatnot. Um, yeah, so, so true. <laughs> yes. So I think it, it is a really, like I said, interception is an everyone thing. And, um, you know, like even just as caregivers um, or professionals, like what we bring to the table with our own interceptive awareness um, is so incredibly important. And there's such cool research like even talking about um, the social implications of interoception, there's research showing that in order to intuitively understand how someone else is feeling, we recreate our own interceptive experiences. So we are re- we're imagining how we would feel in order to intuitively understand how someone else is feeling. And it helps us to be interceptive awareness. If, we're, if we 
have a clear inner experience and we can be clearly attuned to the emotions of other people. And so that's an incredibly important so thing interesting. <laughs> as caregivers and professionals. Like, I mean, it is, you know, really, really important. Yeah. Wow. So, so thinking about, you know, teachers and parents, how can we support our learners that we maybe are like starting to identify that are having some trouble with their interoception? How can we start to support them, you know, either, like you said, self-regulating or co-regulating these Mm -hmm. processes? Yeah. Like, so the co-regulation is key that like, that's where we need to start. Um, And learners need to feel safe and regulated within their bodies and their environments in order to be able to have the attentional resources to begin to tune within and, and to start noticing and understanding their interceptive signals. Like, cause what we know, like if, if, if person's feeling chronically dysregulated or unsafe in their environment, um, their attention is naturally pulled outward. They're going to be watching and vig- hypervigilant on their external world out of protection. Like they're just watching for that next threat or perceived danger, you know? So we really need to do that co-regulation piece first so that they're feeling safe um, enough to tune their attention within. Um, And and like no learners from a place of discomfort is going to want to, you know, learn a new skill or like engage in in something challenging when you're already at a place where you're not feeling great. Exactly. Exactly. And I know like people have the best intentions and they want really fast results. So they go right for working on the interceptive awareness piece and that self-regulation, but we don't put enough time into the co-regulation piece. And I think our primary job as caregivers, as professionals is to ensure that every single autistic learner feels safe and regulated within their bodies and their worlds. Can you kind of define the difference between self-regulation and co-regulation? Yeah, sure. That's a great question. So co-regulation is a process where a person is relying on other people to help meet their regulation needs. Um, So maybe that's like an example of that would be like even in infancy when a, a, a um, baby notices discomfort in their body. They don't really know what it means, but they cry. And then the caregiver steps in and might feed them or cuddle them. They deliver those feel-good sensations to that infant. So that's an example of co-regulation where the caregiver steps in and provides some form of a feel-good sensation. And that can apply even to like adults, right? My, my husband and I, like, my husband co-regulates me all the time mm-hmm. if I'm having a bad day and he steps in and he offers his comfort to me. So that is a sign of co-regulation. Um, and then self-regulation is where we are able to independently like identify how we're feeling. Like, oh my gosh, like I'm feeling so anxious right now. And then we independently seek out a strategy to help us to regulate. So maybe I do seek out my husband or maybe I go for a walk or maybe, you know, I get under my, my weighted blanket for a bit and drink some tea. But those are, that, that's, self-regulation because I'm independently identifying how I'm feeling and seeking out that strategy that I need on my own. Okay. That's interesting. Can you talk through a few examples of with, you know, hypothetical clients or scenarios of, of co-regulation that you've worked on with interoception type, you know, needs? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, co-regulation in general is just really um, getting to know that person and um, 
especially if we're talking about autistic learners, you know, we need to consider um, this, the sensory environment around them, get to know what that um, each individual learner, what provides comfort to them and what also um, makes them feel unsafe. So maybe it's loud noises or bright lights that make them feel unsafe. So we need to put measures into place and adapt the environment to help promote those feelings of safety. Um, so maybe that's like getting noise canceling headphones or it's tr it's reducing like the noise of a fan in a classroom or whatever it is, really adapting that sensory environment to promote feelings of safety and then using um, a lot of sensory-based input to help regulate that nervous system. Um, we know from countless autistic adults how absolutely important that sensory-based input is for the regulation of their nervous systems on a daily basis. And not just one time a day, it's like all day long, actively doing things. And that's at a co-regulation standpoint, that's where the caregivers um, are coming in and assisting that person in seeking out those sensory-based, um, so maybe it's like rhythmic proprioceptive input. So that's proprioceptive input is input into your joints and muscles. So maybe that's like bouncing on a ball, but the caregiver comes in, brings the ball, invites the person to sit on the ball and bounces with the child or the adult. Um, it's not waiting for that individual. I see this all the time in the schools. Like there's these IEP goals written for like the child will seek out a sensory strategy yeah. on their own, right? Like they're not going to do that or they're going to use a replacement behavior or they're, they're or they're going to use a help card or they're going, they're going to ask yes. for a break. Like that's not going to happen if they don't have the interceptive awareness piece. So that's like where we're stepping in and proactively um, as often as possible offering that support to the person. What are some kind of big picture suggestions for, teachers working with students with limited language, and of course, obviously looping in the OT at all times, but students working with limited language on figuring out what those sensory needs are? Um, I think the best part, the best thing you can do is observe. Like, what do you see that um, child or adult doing? Um, especially what do you see them doing when they appear to be happy or content or in a place of regulation, um, and then just encouraging that on a more frequent basis. Mm -hmm. um, like for example, I was right before the pandemic, I was supporting this little kindergartner. Um, he was an autistic little kindergartner and the, um, the, the staff had asked me to come in and consult and, and they were working on him um, being able to work with the teacher during teacher time. And they wanted him to sit with the teacher at a desk and, um, at, or at a table to do teacher time. And they were working on his ability to sit at, at this table with the teacher and trying to expand the time that he could sit there. And if you observed him outside of that time, he just moved all the time. And so from an OT perspective, I'm watching him and I'm like, this, this kid needs to move. He is moving to help regulate his nervous system. And so we talked about as a team that, you know, by forcing him to try to sit still at teacher time was really, quite frankly, teaching him to override his, what his body was telling him he needed. They, he, they were conditioning him to um, ignore his inner body signals, those signals telling him that he needed to move in order to connect with people, in order to participate in his environment. And so we 
talked about like, how do we restructure teacher time so it matches what he needs? And so how do we help him get lots of movement um, and reframing what we think teacher time should look like and helping it match his sensory needs, right? And how do we help him get lots of movement so that he can be really successful during that time? Oh, I love that. And, you know, there's so many just like arbitrary rules that like classrooms have decided, especially I think (laughs) in... And, you know, one of the perks of being in a, in a self-contained special ed room is you have so much flexibility. Like you could do teacher time however you want, but we like have these ideas of like, it has to be at this table at this time with these chairs and for no real reason. There is no reason. And I think we are starting to get a little bit better at um, throwing all of those social norms out the window because they're really judgmental and they're based on like our neurology, not you know, maybe an autistic neurology. And so I think we are getting better as a field and we need to continue to expand and really work within many different neurologies. Um, Cause you're right. Like there is so many flexible options. And, yeah. and I think it's really ironic that um, autistic people tend to be touted as the inflexible thinkers when I think it's I think that the neuro majority sometimes tends to be more more rigid. Oh, for sure, right? And and without like even the the knowing why, like, well, this is just how we've always done it. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Yeah. That that's such a great story and I and I think, you know, likely, you know, we all have had students or currently have students or clients that that fall in in some type of a similar scenario where it's not like how can we change his behavior to meet the needs of this activity, but instead looking, how can we change this activity to meet his needs? Because in that scenario, what you said is so true. Like he's listening to his body and that's Mm -hmm. what we want for everyone. Absolutely. And I think so many of our learners have had just by accident um, and people with good intentions, but I think that they have had any body signals they were noticing, they've had them dampened. They've been conditioned to ignore, um, what their body was telling them they needed for a variety of reasons. Like I even think about like um, some of the attempts or strategies that some of my clients use to self-regulate are um, considered, I guess, by some to be atypical, Um, like flapping or lining up toys or rocking or smelling their skin or whatever it is. Um, And, you know, as they get, they grow and they get to a certain point, sometimes people are like, well, you know, you really shouldn't do that. Or that makes you look different or it's kind of babyish. And I'm like, well, no, that's like what their neurology is telling them that they need to do to regulate and to be with us in this world. Yeah. How can we help students that maybe, you know, like that scenario is so great because like we know what he wants, you know, that, you know, student needs to kind of feel calmer and safer. Um, How can we help our kids kind of find that trigger more? Like, oh, this means I should do this. Like, like identify that cue. Like, do you suggest Mm -hmm. like modeling our own process when we do that? Or what are some strategies to help kind of identify? So basically to go from co-regulation to self-regulation. Yeah. Well, right now the existing um, evidence um, all points to one intervention right now, and that's um, something called body mindfulness. And I'm sure many of your listeners have heard of mindfulness before and what body mindfulness is. It's just um, our ability to pay attention to how our body feels in the present moment. Um, And if don't, uh, I hope your listeners are not panicking right now, like, oh, mindfulness, it's so hard. It's so abstract. Like, yes, that all is very true. And it really is a mismatch for a lot of um, 
a lot of my clients. So what we've done is we have adapted body mindfulness um, to make it more accessible to more people. And so one of the things that people, your listeners can do and that we do um, is that we chunk body mindfulness body mindfulness down into one body part at a time. So rather than noticing how your entire body feels in the moment, let's start by working on noticing how your hands feel in the moment or noticing how your feet feel or noticing how your heart feels. So we start with outside body parts and we work our way in because the outside body parts tend to be a little bit more concrete. Um, And when we're noticing how let's just stay with hands, how your hands feel, we're doing it um, during Um, playful activities that tend to evoke a stronger sensation in that body part. So it helps to capture attention. So like um, one example is like washing your hands. Like if you think about that task, like when you're putting your hands under the water, it's probably evoking a certain feeling in your hand for you to then um, practice noticing. Um, Or when you're playing with slime or you're playing in the snow or you're hanging from playground equipment or you're typing, there's a a lot of different um, opportunities to notice how your hands are feeling. Um, So we're, 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 we have a very systematic process, but I'm just trying to give some ideas there of um, just thinking about chunking it into one body part at a time. um, So you're not overwhelming the learner and using fun things that evoke a stronger sensation to help them begin to notice those feelings. Um, And, Another thing that you can just do that is probably the easiest suggestion is just talking out loud about how your own body feels um, and just doing it as frequently as possible. Because we know even like for some of our younger learners, they're soaking in language. Even if we don't think they are, most of the time they are soaking in a lot more than we give them credit for. That's so true. Because I can can see, I'm happy you like said that because I I believe that too. And I I sometimes have these arguments or hypothetical arguments of people like, well, I mean, I don't know if they're understanding like, but for the chance they are, let's yeah. just do it anyways. Right. <laughs> yes. I think we always need to presume that the person is understanding and presume yes. the competence for sure. Yes. Do you recommend like teaching those outward signals that could be affecting interoception? Like your example of, you know, it's cold outside. So we know we should put a coat on or is it more like starting to identify what's in your body when you're cold outside? Um, well, it probably would be more of a memorized script if like a person, if you're saying it's cold outside, put a jacket on. Um, but if we want to develop and a person, um, is at a place where they're ready to develop the awareness of what cold feels like in their body and then linking that to the need of putting on a jacket, then you'll be able to general, generalize that skill much more. Um, yeah. I don't know if that makes sense or no, not. No, that but, does because you can yeah. be cold inside your house, but there's not a temperature change necessarily or cold when you get out of the shower. And um, exactly because I think that's kind of what you're at least my from like a special ed teacher perspective is like, okay, I'm going to teach, you know, the weather is this. So we put a jacket on and like it's these like rules that we follow. Um, but being cold is more than just like when it's below 50 degrees, you should wear a jacket. There's other times that we're cold. Exactly. Yep. Interesting. I mean, and it seems like cold and hot seems easier than all of the complex emotions like anxiety and things like that. Yeah, it, definitely. We usually start with um, what well, scientists call it homeostatic emotions, which, gosh, they just make the weirdest names for things. But uh, <laughs> that's like, those are all of our emotions, like um, 
like pain and illness and body temperature and need for the bathroom and hunger and thirst and sleepiness. Um, so, um, yeah, working sometimes on the way your body can feel for those emotions tends to be a little bit more concrete than the affective emotions, but that's not true for all of my clients. Sometimes they get the affective like anxiety. Um, they, they get that more because it's a more frequent emotion that they are experiencing. So it really, it really varies. That's true. Oh my gosh. I feel like I could like talk about this and think about this all day. I understand why you're so interested in this. It really affects everyone in so many things that we do and so many ways that we can approach teaching skills. Yeah, absolutely. I think it really um, opens us up to getting maybe one step closer at being able to understand some of our learners' experiences. Uh, We have a long way to go. Uh, But I think it also, um, it creates a little bit more empathy in our approach. Like, you know, maybe it can get frustrating or we misunderstand why a person's doing something like refusing to take a break. (laughs) Um, But really, if we think about it interceptively, they're not refusing to take a break. They just don't recognize the need that they need to take a break, right? Even when we're like, well, you're angry. And they're like, I'm not angry right now. (laughs) Like that's a genuine, like they don't realize they're angry. So I think it it brings about a little bit more empathy and being like, oh, you know, like, okay, that's what's going on here. Awesome. Well, what re- what recommendations do you have um, for when people want, if people want to learn more about this? What references do you suggest? And I can, I can, I'm going to link your website in the show notes. But what what other resources do you recommend? Um, we have a ton of free resources on my website, um, so that would probably be the best place to get started. We have a whole free re- resource tab and whole area, um, and Great. yeah. Awesome. Well, I will link your website in the show notes and everyone will head over there to get all the free resources and learn more. Um, well, thank you so much. I This is so interesting and I hope that it kind of inspired everyone to to learn more about interoception, but also, you know, have like, just think a little bit with a more open mind about everything that could be going on within each of our learners. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much, Sasha. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest. Or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 
Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum, everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.